All right, tonight we are going to finish up the book of Jonah. So I invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 4, page 1069. If you're using that Bible under the seat in front of you. Jonah chapter 4. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We love how your word reveals your heart. And we want your heart. We love how your word reveals what matters most to you, and we want what matters most to you to matter most to us. And so teach us tonight about what matters most. Instruct us, guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you remember in Jonah chapter 3, God used the prophet Jonah to save the entire city of Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Jonah went to the city. He walked around the city for several days and he preached a message of warning, of judgment. It was real simple. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And everyone in Nineveh repented with fasting and sackcloth. Everyone turned to the Lord. Everyone cried out to God for salvation. Everyone in the city. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. From the least to the greatest. From the slaves to the servants to the officials to the nobles. Even to the very king of the Assyrian Empire. It's the greatest revival in all of history. Bible scholars estimate that almost 600,000 people were saved that day. Now that's an occasion for great joy, don't you think? Don't you wish the entire city of El Paso would get saved in three days? Everyone was happy. There was rejoicing. Heaven was happy. Angels are happy. You know, angels rejoice over one sinner repentant. Imagine the party they had in heaven with 600,000. God was happy. The citizens of Nineveh were happy. The king of Nineveh is happy. Even the livestock in Nineveh were happy. Everyone's happy. Everyone's rejoicing. With one exception. The preacher that God used to bring about that revival. Jonah is not happy. Look what it says in verse 1. This is Jonah's reaction to 600,000 people being saved, the greatest revival in all of history. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled 
previously to Tarshish, forget this, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. That's a shocking passage, is it not? 600,000 people saved. Jonah's upset about it. And the language is very strong in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for displeased is oftentimes translated in the Old Testament as something that's considered to be evil or wicked. You could translate this. It was evil to Jonah. A great evil. The salvation of a whole city considered to be something grotesquely evil from Jonah's perspective. The word to be displeased also speaks of spoiled expectations. Having all of your expectations ruined. What did Jonah expect? Jonah expected God to judge the Ninevites. He didn't. His expectations were spoiled. He's moping. It says at the end of verse 1 that he became angry. This is a very strong word in the Hebrew. He was infuriated. Hot. Strongly against. He says in verse 3, Oh, I wish I could die. Can you imagine Billy Graham or Greg Laurie reacting like that to thousands of people coming forward at one of their crusades? But this is how Jonah reacts. And by the way, this has been the biggest problem with Jonah for the whole book. Why did he react like this? Because he hated the Ninevites. He despised that group of people. He saw them as wicked, depraved. He viewed them as a threat to his nation. He said, the world needs to be rid of such scum. They need to be wiped off the map. They need to be judged. And here, God has spared them. And Jonah is upset. This has been his whole problem all along. His angry prayer in verse 2 is so telling. He says, oh Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. You see, I knew this was going to happen, God. I knew that you were gracious and slow to anger. I knew that if the Ninevites were given one more opportunity and they repented, you'd give them another chance. I knew it. That's why I disobeyed the first time. That's why I got on the ship to go to Tarshish the first time. Take note of this. Jonah was not angry at God being a compassionate God in general. He was angry that God would be compassionate 
to the Ninevites. Jonah loved God being compassionate to him, to his nation, to his family, to his friends, to his circle. But he hated the fact that God would be compassionate towards wicked, foreign, pagan, perverted, bloodthirsty enemies like the Assyrians. Is that a good attitude for a man of God to have? It's monstrous. It's horrific. Who would put up with an attitude like that? Aren't you amazed that God is so patient with Jonah and compassionate? I mean, wouldn't you think that that God would say, enough with you, Jonah. Strike him down. Get another fish ready, right? Take him out. And yet throughout the entire book of Jonah, we see God's patience towards Jonah. His compassion. No, he doesn't want to wipe Jonah out. He wants to work with Jonah. This rebellious, stubborn prophet. And we see the patience of God continue in this story. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry that a city of 600,000 was saved? Is it right? Now, what's the answer to that question? No, it's not right. It's pathetically wrong to want that for even enemies like the Ninevites. But God asked Jonah that question. Jonah doesn't even answer. He ignores the question. Verse 5 says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Now this is crazy. Talk about being stubborn. Jonah hasn't given up hope on the Lord making French fries of the Ninevites. He hasn't given up hope. He's thinking God said 40 days. The 40 days have not expired. There's still hope. God can still judge the Ninevites. And so he leaves the city. By the way, if he were a real man of God, he would have stayed in the city and ministered to all the new converts. But no, he left the city. He goes out to the east of the city. He goes out onto a a big hillside overlooking, makes a little shamble shack for himself. And he's up there to see what's going to take place for the city. He's, He's waiting, hoping, perhaps even praying that God will still strike them down. He wants front row seats. He's like waiting for the fireworks display to go on. 
still, God reaches out to him. Verse 6, and the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Okay, ancient Nineveh, you know, it's, in, it's Mosul, modern-day Mosul. And it can get very hot. It can get into the 120s during the summer there. You could die just sitting on a hillside. Jonah's gone up there and he's built a little shelter for himself, probably out of a few branches of trees. God decides to bless him. God supernaturally provides Jonah shade. A beautiful vine, a luxurious little back porch setting. This beautiful vine creeps up, covers his head. He's filled with shade. And it says in verse 6 that Jonah was very grateful for the plant. That's exaggerated in, in, in the Hebrew. Jonah rejoiced with great joy. For the plant. Oh, I love you, plant. You're such a good plant. You provide shade for me. You know, this was such a blessing from God, and Jonah may have even interpreted that blessing as God has finally come along to my side. This is the prelude to the big show. God's giving me the luxury booth, the first class seats to watch the judgment of Nineveh. And there he sat watching in that beautiful shade. The judgment did not come. Instead, look at what happens in verse 7. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. So the first day he's enjoying the shade, he goes to sleep. At night, getting very close to dawn now, God sends a worm, prepares a worm. The language specifically equips a worm. The worm starts eating at that vine, poisons it. It withers. It's gone just as fast as it appeared. Jonah wakes up in the morning, finds his vine withered. Verse 8, and it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. So now God, he's prepared. Now check this out. He's prepared a storm in chapter 1 that he hurled at Jonah. He prepared a big fish. He's prepared a plant. He's prepared a worm. And now he's prepared this second type of wind. Now, this isn't the wind of a big storm. This is the hot, sultry wind that intensifies the heat. 
This is like turning your heater on when you get in your car in the summer. And that blast of air, it's not refreshing. It hurts him. It says in verse 8, Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And now we have poor, pathetic, miserable Jonah back to square one, waiting for the Ninevites to be judged, sweating to death on a hillside, faint and weak, so very disappointed that his plant has gone away. This is all an object lesson. God is totally in control. God is wanting to wake up Jonah from his deception, from his thinking, from his hatred, from his bigotry, from his racism that he can't even see in himself. So the Lord contacts him again, verse 10. But the Lord said, you have had Oh, I'm sorry, verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it's right for me to be angry, even to death. Isn't he pathetic? Yes, it's right. Verse 10. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant, for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their left, their right hand and their left, and much livestock? He mentions 120 persons that can't discern between their left. Most Bible scholars believe that that's God speaking of the children in the city of Nineveh, the little children. The innocent children who don't even know what mom and dad are doing. Here's where God gets to Jonah. He says, Jonah, you've had pity on a plant. You've had compassion on a plant. You're angry because I destroyed a plant. A plant, Jonah, a vine. By the way, this is a plant, Jonah, that you didn't labor for. You didn't plant it. You didn't pot it. You didn't soil it. You didn't water it. You didn't prune it. You didn't grow it. You've got no skin in the game in this plant. There's no labor whatsoever. That plant was temporary, Jonah. It was here for a day and gone tomorrow. And yet you had pity and compassion on that plant. On one hand, you have compassion on the plant. On the other hand, you have no compassion on a city of 600,000. Jonah, a plant is more important to you 
than 600,000 souls. And God said, the city is of most importance to me. I have pity on people. I have pity on those Ninevites. Jonah, I created them. I love them. Listen, Mr. Prophet Jonah, I labored for the folks in Nineveh. I reached out to them. I was going for them. I was trying to woo them to myself. And those people in Nineveh are eternal. They have souls. They matter. They're not here for a day, gone for tomorrow. They were created in my image. They will live for all of eternity. Jonah, you're completely deceived and you've missed it all. And my friends, listen. This is the big lesson from the book of Jonah. We do have a compassionate God. We have a God whose love is beyond what we can even dream up. We have a God who's merciful and gracious. Jonah is absolutely right in verse 10. I know you, God, are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. This New Testament verse, I think, should be the theme verse for the whole book. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. People matter to God. People. Never forget that. God places the highest value on souls. And he's not willing that any should perish. And he's compassionate, compassionate and gracious and merciful. And that's what you see running through the entire book of Jonah. He was compassionate on those Ninevites. And by the way, Jonah was right to hate their sins. We talked about it in our first study in Jonah. Ninevites, they're they're one of the most wicked cultures ever to walk the face of the earth. They were idolaters. They were bloodthirsty. They were perverts. They sacrificed children, children to gods. They did the most incredibly wicked and depraved things. God loved them. God reached out to them. God gave them chance. God sent his prophet. And when they repented, God gave them another chance. God had compassion on the mariners. You remember in, in chapter 1, Jonah's trying to escape. He's going to flee from his call to go to Nineveh. He gets on this boat. And 
(laughs) the boat has other mariners on it. And God hurls this storm at Jonah. And who gets caught up in the storm? These poor pagan mariners. They're freaking out. They don't know what's going on. The man of God's hiding on the boat. God worked in that situation towards all all those pagan mariners came to know the Lord by the end of that whole ordeal. God saves people even through reluctant prophets. He loved them. He's compassionate. He reached out to them. And then, of course, God was compassionate to Jonah himself. He stuck with him. Ran him down. He prepared a storm. He prepared a fish. He prepared a plant. He prepared a worm. He prepared a hot wind. Doing whatever it's going to take to get Jonah to wake up, to respond, to turn. By the way, wouldn't it be easier, and I've mentioned this before, but wouldn't it be easier to learn your lessons just by reading your Bible? Right? You know, at the beginning of Jonah, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to He could have just responded then. But praise be to God that God will come after us. That God will seek us. That God will send the worm, the whale, the storm, the plant. God will do that. This is our God. He loves people. He cares about people. And if you're one of his people, the lesson of Jonah is that you better care about people as well. You better be compassionate. God is compassionate. And if we belong to him, We should be compassionate. Now, it's hard for us to do it. You know, we look at Jonah and we shake our heads. What a dude. We think, how? But careful. Are there Ninevites in your life that you hate? Are there people groups in your life that you despise. You know, Jonah was extremely patriotic. He was fanatically patriotic. He loved his country, he loved his nation, and he was against anybody that might come against his nation. I love America, we love America. Do we despise, though, our enemies of this nation? Does God care about communist China? Does God care about communist Russia? Does God care about North Korea? 
Would you go there? Does God care about Islamic nations? Does God care about Iran? Does God care about Iraq? Does God care about Muslim countries that treat women like dogs? And breed hatred towards other people? Would God send you there? Would you go? God loves them. God cares about them. Does God love illegal immigrants? Does he? You know, I think a lot of us in the church, and, and I'm, you know, we're, I know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a conservative guy. You would, you would put me with the right wing. But do we hate the left? Do we hate Democrats? Do we hate liberals? Have you written them off? Would you talk to one? Would you reach out to one? Or are we going to be people that are known for our political ideologies? Converting people to the way we think politically when we should actually be speaking to people about Jesus and the God who loves them. Do you despise the transgender community? Do you despise the pro-choice group? How about the pornographers? How about the drug culture? Do you despise the murderers and rapists and thieves and drug abusers and gang members that are locked up in prisons in our country and all over the world? Do you despise those people? Would you go to them? Are you racist? Are you prejudiced? Is there a group in your life you don't like? I certainly hope not. What about the people that have hurt you? I mean the people that have hurt you. Maybe it's an ex-spouse, an ex-business partner. Someone in authority who abused you and hurt you. Somebody that betrayed you. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now and you hate them. You hate them. God loves them. God cares about them. God loves the Ninevites. God cares about them. You know, we see something else in in Jonah. (laughs) He really loved that vine, didn't he? I mean, it's funny. Jonah was grateful for the plant. The only time that Jonah was ever happy in the book of Jonah. I wasn't happy about the fish that 
saved his life. He wasn't happy about being vomited out on shore. He wasn't happy about getting a second chance from God to go do. He wasn't happy about 600,000 people coming to repentance. But he was happy about a plant, about a vine. Jonah was selfish. Jonah was into creature comforts. My brother and sister in Christ, I do believe that sometimes those creature comforts in our lives can take more priority in our lives than people. We're more worried about our houses. We're worried about our backyards. We're worried about our cars. We're worried about all these materialistic things, and we don't focus on people. You know, we used to have a neighbor when I was growing up, and this lady, she was an old lady, the meanest lady. And our, our family's Christian. We're trying to reach out to this lady. We could never reach out to her. And we weren't allowed one inch in her yard. In fact, she would get mad if we crossed the grass. She said, don't you dare walk on my grass because you're beating down the little blades of grass. How miserable to live your life more worried about grass than kids. And yet there are a lot of people that live like that. All the stuff in life, all the vines. My brother and sister in Christ, people are to be way, way, way more important to you than stuff. Every now and then I'll hear a Christian say, well, I'm not a people person. Let me tell you right now, it is impossible for true born-again Christians not to be people persons. Because your heavenly father is a people person. And you should love them. Now, I'm not saying you have to be this, you know, rambunctious, extrovert, you know, running around. And I mean, we can't, I'm not that. I can't be that. But even if you're an introvert and you're a Christian, oh, you love people. You care about people. People matter. Because people matter to God. And we should be compassionate and gracious. Well, did Jonah change? You you notice that this kind of, it, it ends with the question. God asked the question. Right? And we don't get Jonah's answer. Do you think that Jonah changed? How many of you think Jonah got it? Oh, nobody's into Jonah. Come on, man. I think he probably did get it. I mean, he did write this book after all. He wrote down his diary. And it got into the Old Testament. I like to think that he got it. 
I showed you this picture during our first study. Um, they began uncovering different areas around Mosul, where the ancient city of Nineveh. And there's this mound in the ancient city of Nineveh that they have called Nabi Yunus, which means the mound of Jonah. There's a mound in the ancient city of Nineveh that they've called the Mound of Jonah. And it is attached to Jonah. The Muslims even put a mosque on it. And they even put it, uh, they, they, what they consider to be the tomb of Jonah. Jonah's attached to Nineveh. And that comes from a long tradition Maybe Jonah died there. Maybe Jonah got off that mountain, put his shelter away, walked down into the city of Nineveh and embraced the Ninevites and began to minister to them and spent the rest of his life there with them. Died there. Possibly. Michelangelo, that great Renaissance painter, he believes that Jonah got it. The Sistine Chapel, the entire ceiling is a masterpiece. But all art critics say there's something unique about the portrayal of Jonah. There's a brightness shining from his face. Arthur Lloyd Algivie puts it, Michelangelo's painting in the Sistine Chapel at the Vatican portrays the prophets, apostles, and patriarchs. Of all the faces he painted, none has a more radiant countenance than Jonah. He surmises, we wonder if Michelangelo knew something we do not know about what happened to Jonah after the sudden close of his biography. The Renaissance artist portrayed Jonah with a radiant face as if he were a man set free from prejudice and had fallen in love with God and his fellow man. That's how I choose to remember Jonah. He got it. He got it. But the book does end with an open-ended question. And I think it's because it's a question that each one of us have to answer. How about you? How about you? Are you going to be compassionate? Are you going to love people? Even the ones that have hurt you? Are you going to be patient with people? I think... It's very hard for us to do that, but I also think that we should be motivated to do that every day because of how compassionate God has been to us. In fact, I love this question that Peter asked Jesus. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times 7. Now, Jesus is not being literal there. He's not saying people get 490 chances 
And after that, he's saying basically, you are to forgive people. Forgive them. And then he told this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he'd begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's millions of dollars. That's a, that's a debt that's impossible. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a few hundred dollars. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So, Jesus says, my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. That's heavy, man. So, Christian, never lose sight of how much you've been forgiven. Ever. You have been forgiven way more than you could ever forgive someone else. Even your worst enemy. Let that motivate you. God's been compassionate to you. And of course, God's compassion is the heart of the gospel. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you while you were a sinner. You, while you were a sinner. You didn't deserve it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved.
David says something interesting at the end of Psalm 139. He asks God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David said, Lord, I'm so wicked, I don't even see it sometimes. I'm so deceived, I don't even see it. Show it to me, reveal it to me. Bias. Hatred. Racism, prejudice. Can be so deceptive. Our motivations, what matters to us, can be so deceptive. So I'd like us to bow our heads and, and close our eyes. And I want, I want to have an extended time of prayer before Benny and them come on up. And I just want you to have an honest conversation with God. Maybe you could pray this prayer that David prayed. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my anxiety. See if there's any wicked way in me. Is there a group of people in your life that you hate? That you do not like at all? Ask God to show you. Ask God to give you strength. And if that's the case, I want you to pray for them right now. Pray for that group. Is there a person in your life that's wronged you and you're holding bitterness? Pray for that person right now. Repent of that. Ask God to reveal to you if material things, money, houses, vines are more important to you than people. Have you allowed those things to become more important in your life than the people who are in your life?
Father, I pray that you would reveal to us every day those areas where we need to change, those attitudes. Lord, it's so easy to see everybody else's failures and biases, and yet it's so hard to see our own. It's so easy to see other people holding grudges, and it's so hard to see the own grudges that we carry. God, cleanse us from that. Cleanse us from hatred, bitterness. And Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. Your love that never changes. Your love that's hard for us even to fathom. God, I, I thank you that you give us chance after chance after chance. I thank you that you don't drop us. Thank you for running after us. I pray that we would live our lives enamored by how much you love us. And that would motivate us to love others. Love other people through our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name.